Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast brought to you by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday. I want to tell you about a special going on this month with Blue Water Climate Control, and that is they are giving away 20 free furnaces or air handlers with complete system installs. Now's the time to get a new heating and air unit. Customers have saved as much as $1,000. To get that offer, all you need to do is call 865-299-2290 or go to Blue Water Climate Control to book online. They'll come give you a quote on your new American Standard heating and air system. They're only giving away 20 during February only, so you better hurry. Give them a call today at 865-299-2290 or visit them online at Blue Water Climate Control. Dot com with Austin Price and Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us. Um, the Josh Heupel era continues on. We're almost to a week, I guess, right at a week in, in uh, the, the world of Josh Heupel. I'm sure, Austin, that things are, um, I don't want to say drowning, but he's probably been overwhelmed at times. I think the biggest shock for me is that his staff is still as incomplete as it is. On Monday night, Joe Osavet. Uh, was relieved of his duties. I don't think that's a huge shock. I think we have a pretty decent idea of where he's likely going to go offensively, um, ultimately, but defensively certainly seems up in the air right now. Well, it does. I mean, like, Brent, I've never seen a coaching transition like this. Like, normally, like, it's kind of, you know, 80 to 85% of your guys are in within two, two to three days. And then you might have one or two that straggle in over a week later, you know, depending on like contract situations and negotiations, or maybe it's just a spot you don't feel, you know, you kind of don't know what you want to do with and you're interviewing several guys. Um, you know, it, it's different. Like, you know, I, I think that, you know, right now Tennessee's got Heupel and got Halsley and, 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 you know, um, the OC in the building, um, you know, Golish. So, other than that, I mean, it's it's kind of a staff of not many. And, I mean, everybody's wanting to know about the offensive line coach. He'll be here eventually, um, you know. And so, uh, you know, we'll see what they do with the rest of their staff. I still think Cody Burns, depending on how things play out with the T. Martin situation, is uh, is most likely to end up on this staff. And it feels like Merritt, at, as the running backs coach, is at least a, a – a, seems like a logical possibility, although – why is that one not done yet? You get you wonder a little bit about that. Ellerby, obviously, the offensive line coach, going to be here at some point when when he gets everything taken care of that that kind of he's been dealing with and, and that type of thing. So you have an idea of his offensive staff. You don't know about his defensive staff and his defensive coordinator, which it was clear he was not going to rob. He was not going to bring the UCF people with him. I think we knew that from the moment he was hired. The defensive side of the ball. Offensively, he felt like he was probably going to bring a good number of his guys. My question to you is this. Is this one different from a transition standpoint because he didn't interview for the job? He was offered the job and he took the job. Whereas in most hires, a guy goes through an interview process and it's two or three days maybe before anything is finalized. This was done in a matter of hours. I mean, this, this started mid-afternoon on Tuesday Deals struck Tuesday night late. He's on Tennessee's campus at noon being introduced as a coach. Is that why this transition is a little bit different? Because it wasn't like he was pursuing this job necessarily and had a, quote, defensive staff lined up ready to go. I think, I mean, that, that might explain a couple of days. But I guess, you know, as we drift towards, you know, a week, 
I don't know that that explains it, but I think that is a good point. Like if you get contacted by a search firm, you know, three or four days before you're going to have an interview, that gives you ample time to obviously, you know, get an outline of the plan you're going to present to, to the, to the people interviewing you as to why, you know, this is the staff I can bring in. This is the direction I want to go and possibly even talk to, you know, some of those guys you're going to put on that list. And as you mentioned, Heupel didn't have an opportunity to do that, but I mean, to me, the most fascinating element of all this is you've got an ultra experienced veteran SEC defensive coordinator in the building and he's in limbo. I mean, that's, I think that, <laughs> there's a lot about this this season you know the transition that's been kind of unprecedented but that's that's one of the most unusual situations ever and that he is not a member of the of the former staff he's somebody that was you know hired in, in the interim and he's, he's a guy with great credentials to and, and you've got a job you've got a job opening that he would seem to fit and it would also seem to help you with Rodney Garner who's kind of the elephant in the room that Tennessee fans are licking their chops about the possibility of him being here. You know, Tennessee fans on the offensive side, I think were really hoping they could get Jeff, Jeff Levy uh, as the OC. That probably wasn't going to happen because Levy's obviously trying to get in play to be the head coach at UCF. But Rodney Garner is very attainable, and that's somebody that can give Josh Heupel instant credibility on a number of different fronts. Like, that one just makes sense to me. Like, and I know it makes sense to you, Brent, but at the same time, I do understand – trying to figure out who your defensive coordinator is going to be before you go hiring defensive coaches. I just wonder why have they not heard or why, you know, why have they not gotten further down the road with any of this than they have when you're almost one weekend? Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, it's, it's interesting to me that he, that he being Josh Heupel has not had maybe more extensive conversations with Kevin Steele, or it doesn't seem like he's had more extensive conversations with Kevin Steele, who's been in the building, every day that Josh Heupel has been there with the exception of Saturday and Sunday when uh, staff guys, you know, he, Kevin still uh, took the weekend off because I think that's what he was told to do. There was nothing going on, you know, staff wise for him there, but he was in the building on Monday. He was in the building on, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of last week. Uh, I, I think it's interesting that there's not been more dialogue or more conversation going on there. Uh, and then you wonder if there's somebody out there that they're talking to or they have interest in um, that, you know, it's just, it's a really, it's a really challenging time for them right now. For example, what if there's a guy who's coaching in some capacity at a, at a lower level um, who's getting ready to play a spring season? You know, that's a dicey proposition. That's a dicey, that's a dicey thing there to go. Cause is a guy going to leave the school he's at? you know, right before they're getting ready to play a spring season of football. Um, I think those things are always unique out there. I, I just have a hard time, Rob, thinking that there's this big delay because Wednesday's signing day, because there's just not a ton of guys out there that's going to sign. It's hard to me, for me to say nobody's going to talk to Josh Hype or he's waiting until you get past Wednesday's signing day to get somebody's attention or to get in front of somebody. Yeah, I agree. I mean, and the, you know, and, who knows what may have happened that, that we're unaware of, but it doesn't mean, as you guys pointed out here in the chat, there's no more gossipy community and, you know, out there than, than college, than the college football fraternity, you know, assistants, you know, former assistants here talking to people or, you know, and, and there, there aren't even, you know, wild outlandish rumors or speculations on Twitter about 
you know, keep an eye on this guy or Josh Heupel allegedly has interest in this guy. I mean, there's, there's none of that, which is unusual. I'm going to throw one crazy name out there. Oh, here and we I go. Just, uh, before we go any further, I want to say, do not take this and run with it to Twitter as some gospel thing. Cause it's not okay. It's here we go. This based off go. of, based off of the possibility of an impact of signing day. The one guy that to me, maybe I could see it impacting is a guy like Charles Kelly, who is at Alabama, who I know would like to be a defensive coordinator again. When he left Tennessee and went back to Alabama, it was because he could get in his state retirement in Alabama. He's now been able to do that. And thus, you know, he, he could just go and double dip again and be a DC somewhere and know that when his career is done, he's going to get that Alabama retirement. Um, you know, maybe that's maybe that's somebody. I, again, I'm just throwing that. That's just totally out of left field, um, and and nothing more than that. Um, but you know, I'm just thinking outside the box. You were thinking about guys at the lower levels that are getting ready for a season. I'm going the opposite direction, thinking you know, is it somebody that? I mean, because there's only there's not a lot of kids out there, but there are a few like a Terry on Arnold. You know, Alabama's in the mix for him. You know, if if Charles Kelly went ahead and left before Wednesday, how would that affect him? Maybe it would. Maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. I just know Charles Kelly's got deep ties in the state of Florida. Kids from Florida. Alabama's a finalist there. Yeah, it may be. I mean, it, it is interesting that um, there's just been no gossip out there. So maybe there is a delay until after signing day. Um, you know, maybe there's more conversations with Kevin Steele to be had, um, you know, on campus at some point in, in the coming days as well. I, 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 we, we say all this and, and I said this in the chat because some people obviously are, you know, kind of like we are surprised at where this thing is at in terms of not having a defensive coordinator. It's not like they're not that Josh Heupel's not working on things. He has a million things to work on right now. Um, with trying to get, figure out his team, trying to figure out, you know, what he has, what he doesn't have, get to know those guys, try to hold a roster together, Rob, because a lot of guys are still trying to figure out, do I want to stay? Do I want to give this guy a chance? I mean, you know, a kid could go virtual right now and just never be around the football program, still be eligible and be in the transfer portal and never give a coach a chance. So, like Henry. Got, yeah, like Henry T. I mean, Rob, you got to recruit. I mean, you got to recruit your roster if you're a new coach. It's different than in years past. Oh, it's, and it will be every year going forward from now on. And uh, I imagine that's a big concern for Heifel. But don't you, don't you guys feel like, if kids waited this long, I mean, the decision's not coming until after spring. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know. But is he going to go through spring if he's but, back in California? Right. I mean, but I think because kids can go virtually, Austin, I, I think that the, the, it's a different deal because, yeah, they may not go anywhere to the spring, but they still may not give you a chance, you know, in the spring semester. I mean, or, yeah, or if, spring football, excuse me. There you go. If, if the kid ain't coming in from California and he ain't going through spring ball, he ain't going to be here. It's right. as simple as that. Now, if he comes up for spring ball at some point, because technically right now he's missing some workouts. You know, Henry can stay in good shape out in California. But, you know, if, if we get to two weeks from now and he ain't here, he ain't coming back. He will go through spring virtually, do some online classes, and then go to Oregon or Alabama or Georgia or wherever. Texas, you know, maybe. I heard that school out there is a possibility. So that's just another element that the coaches have to deal with right now. And then on top of that, Austin, on Friday, the NCAA sent word down, hey, you can go ahead and start calling on your own 
kids in the 22 class instead of having to set up a direct message hey give me a call a coach saying to a kid give me a call at some point you can cold call kids all day long you want to now um so so your recruiting element has taken on a whole different level uh starting today uh or on, excuse me on monday uh with, with the fact that you can call those kids which is not normal in the count in the regular recruiting calendar yeah and it's honestly i think going to push a lot of these kids that are close to doing something into wanting to do it even faster because that phone's going to ring and you give that a couple of weeks and they ain't going to want that phone ring anymore. Uh, that, which again, to me, that hurts Tennessee. It helps that they can go and make these calls. You don't have to jump through hoops to, you know, get a kid to call you. But I think it also like beats the drum of anybody that, you know, doesn't really want that attention to go ahead and shut her down sooner rather than later. Yeah. Also, <laughs> Go ahead. I, I, I was just going to say, I, I think that ultimately the timing just uh, – it, the timing's never been – that's why I've said this for a month. The timing the timing's everything. Like the timing of all of this. Like, the, you know, we talked about the Ty Simpson stuff through the chat and on the board. And, and yeah, I mean, like it doesn't look like he's giving Hypel the chance when he's doing it on the 19th and Hypel just got here and today's February 2nd. But, you know, he, he's supposed to talk with him uh, again multiple times this week. I would expect – you know, Heupel to, to give it he's got to try to land Ty Simpson. And if that isn't the case, then I would expect Sam Horn to be the next phone call. And I, if I'm Josh Heupel, I'm going to go ahead and call on Sam Horn and go ahead and build relationships just in case. That's one thing Jeremy Pruitt and them did not do. I always disagreed with that. I always told him I disagreed with that. I get putting all your eggs in, 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 in Ty's basket. But, like, why not do exactly what David Johnson did when Jeremy Pruitt and company did not want to marry on McDonald and Bryson Eason and Martavius French? Let's keep those kids warm because then eventually he came around to it and wanted those kids. And what happened? Tennessee wasn't trying to play catch up because David Johnson had done his job as a recruiter setting the table for the finish. So, like, to me, you got to, you know, you, you got to be able to set the table here, um, you know, for other with other quarterbacks just in case Ty goes elsewhere. And I, I was just going to say, I, I don't disagree that there might be a lot of early decisions because because of the, the, the speeded up calendar would being able to contact these kids directly. But I also think if there are a bunch of early decisions, you'll see more decommitments than ever when the dead period is finally lifted, when you got a bunch of kids. If you have a bunch of kids making decisions without taking visits. We'll, we'll see if it lifts in April. I know there's a lot of optimism and hope. If that's the case, then I think – I think a lot of kids ultimately have been kind of been told in the back of their mind and, and in the back of their minds have been hoping if they'll just lift it in April, then we could take some visits and just see some places right out of the gate. Like as soon as it opens, I think it'll be the, you know, the floodgates are going to open. I think it's going to be fascinating to see when Tennessee and other schools in this conference and around college football set spring practice. Because if you, I don't think you want your spring game being before the dead period ends. I think you want it to be after that because then you could potentially get kids on campus for a spring game. Well, and I think most everybody in the SEC plays their spring game in April. Nobody's, nobody's spring. Not many people are playing those. A few have, but not many schools are playing their spring game in March. I, I wonder if some kids are making decisions and might make early decisions because there, there's a fear that the dead period might not get lifted, you know, that they might not get to take the visits that they want to take. So they're taking a little bit of the burden hand, you know, and, and going ahead and, and jumping in um, and going that way. Uh, I, think, I think if the dead period does lift, 
which means coaches can also get back out on the road. Rob, I'm with you. I, I think there's going to be – I think it's going to look like traffic merging on to the, you know, Los Angeles freeway of, 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 in terms of movement and stuff. Because I think coaches are going to go out, and these guys that they were all fired – you know, maybe they've been fired up about, they're going to go out and, and evaluate them in person. And they may not like some of these guys as well as they thought they would like them after seeing them in person. And then you're going to have some kids take some visits to campus, and maybe campus is not what they thought it was going to be. Or they fall in love with multiple places and they decide to delay their decision. I think if April opens up, it will be absolutely wild as wild can be uh, because, you know, guys haven't taken visits in a year. Some of these kids have never seen a school. Um, and so I, I think given that opportunity, you know, they're, they're going to look at things and I think you'll see a ton of movement uh, moving forward. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that um, just because, uh, so many of the unknowns can get cleared up when guys are, are taking visits. Now, here's another thing we haven't talked about. Is Tennessee going to self-impose any penalties for recruiting visits for the spring and for the fall? And how does that affect things? Well, you can't I – mean, are you talking about this? you're not allowed to have kids on campus for unofficial visits? Or maybe they, maybe they limit the number of visits that coaches they on the road. offer, number of coaches on the road they're allowed to have, you know, uh, evaluation dates they're allowed to have, um, you know, kids on your campus in an unofficial capacity or in a, an official capacity. I don't know. I, I think that's – you know, when everybody hears self-imposed penalties – that, that you, you always think bowl ban and you always think loss of scholarship, which are the two bigs, but they'll also, I, Josh, I think Josh Hypo and his staff will also have to deal with some recruiting restrictions in terms of how many can be out or when they can be out or how often they can be out. Uh, because I, I can't imagine that's not going to be part of the punishment. If the 50 violations are stemming almost exclusively from the recruiting world, right? I would, I would think that would be on the table for, for sure. I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense when you lay it out like that. I, yeah, I mean, maybe that's part of the kind of the preemptive strike, but I mean, there's no guarantee you could end up preemptive striking and it and, you know, you do things that you think that might help you that ends up not helping you in the end. I mean, I don't know. I, I think it's, I think it's a calculated gamble either way you go, you know, but also, I mean, don't you think – I mean, this is just speculation, but don't you think with the way that UT has handled this and, you know, cleaned house and, and been so proactive in, in getting rid of people that they're probably in a position where they, they can have some dialogue with the NCAA about, you know, how this will be – you know, how, how is this going to be perceived? How is this going to play? You know, is this something you guys would, would look favorably upon? Well, you would hope they would have those relationships because that's, that's essentially exactly what Tennessee did with the Donnie Tindall situation when Dave Hart and John Gilbert and the compliance director, whoever that was at the time, I can't remember now, uh, flew to Indianapolis to meet with the NCAA off the record and said, okay, here's what we got. This is where we are. What, what do we basically, what do we need to do? What does this look like? And they came home with the simple thing of, look, if we try to ride this thing out with Donnie Tindall, we're going to get the university in a boatload of trouble. We need to move on. And so, yeah, I think you're absolutely trying to have that dialogue and you hope to have that, that dialogue, you know, with, with the NCAA and, and you hope that the chancellor's relationship with uh, the SEC commissioner, Greg Sankey, helps in that regard. Um, I, I just, you look at so many of these things that, that take place when the violations stem around recruiting, 
they do typically include some recruiting restrictions. And so I'll be curious to see if Tennessee self-imposes any of those or if they wait and see what the NCAA punishment will be with, on those at some point in time. And before we – I know you touched on it earlier, but can, can we dive into just the, the T. Martin situation? We haven't discussed that at length here, here on the pod. And I just – I don't see how, you know, a promise from an athletic director who has resigned can be worth anything. Well, when was it promised? Who all was it promised to? Who all was involved in, in knowing that that promise was taking place? Uh, meaning, like, was the chancellor involved and, and did, did she sign off on it? Um, why was he told he didn't get paperwork if he asked for the paperwork that he was after told he was going to get an extension? What was, the, what was the reasoning for not giving those things out? Um, I don't know. Uh, Austin, I, I don't know everything that T. Martin was told. I'll say this, T. Martin firmly believes what he was told because he's told, you know, former teammates, he's told media people, you know, he's told plenty that this is what was told. So, I mean, I think he obviously believes he was promised something. And if he was not, and if there was, quote, no leg, to, he had, quote, no leg to stand on, I don't know why there would be a need for a resolution because his contract expired on the 31st. And if there's no worries or no concerns or anything like that, then, you know, what, why are you having conversations other than, you know, you're, you're worried about whatever he might say publicly, but if he doesn't have a, a leg to fight or, or a leg to stand on in a fight, then what are you worried about? But clearly there's, concern. I think there's some concern there, right? I think the concern lies with the public perception, you know, because it's it's T Martin. Well, former player, national championship winning quarterback, you know, you know, obviously his teammates have stuck up for him on Twitter and stuff. And, and, you know, I don't know if Tennessee really wants to go down the road of having, well, how should I say this? Just the black eye. Like, you know, I mean, like, you know, did Tennessee, did Danny White send out a memo last week, you know, he says he didn't. That one guy said he did. You know, point is, is by the time that Danny White said he didn't, how much had that already circulated with national media and everywhere else and, and the narrative was set, you know? And so, like, you know, I don't think Tennessee wants to be set in this instance that, you know, they did anything not above board. So I think that, you know, that's why, like, you talk to T, you figure out what he wants to do. Listen, I think T. Martin's likely to be the next coach at TSU in the next 12 months, thereabouts. So, like, even if he is back on this staff, I think it's going to be short-lived because I think he's more than likely going to chance to get a chance to go and lead that program down to Nashville sooner rather than later uh, with Mickey Allen being down there as the AD. I've heard that for months on end, and I, it makes total sense. Yeah, so we'll we'll see what what takes place from it. I mean, obviously, if if you're Tennessee, Austin is right, and that you don't you don't want the black eye there. And there's clearly concern about this because they've incorporated a lot of people uh, to try to you know to try to mediate, have conversations, and you know this is this is not on Danny White. I mean, Danny White didn't have anything to do with this. Josh Heupel didn't have anything to do with this. I mean, that that's you know that's just something that they inherited and i don't know that they're involved in in trying to mediate it or help it i mean they they 
they certainly know that they want it to to end and, and they want to land that plane to where they're not fighting that in recruiting and not dealing with a scorn former player. So that's their level of involvement with it. Um, what's the university's level of involvement with it? What, what, you know, what do all the legalese and lawyers and everybody on both sides say that somebody is due or not due? What is, you know, what is a verbal agreement? What's not a verbal agreement? Um, you know, does a text message, does that apply as any kind of agreement that way? I mean, that, there's Brad, lots of Rich, things. That Rich, Rich had a memorandum of understanding in his hand and he didn't. Tennessee walked away from him with no legal ramifications. It, it, it wasn't, but it, yes, wasn't, it wasn't the, signed by, by the, by the chancellor. Right. But the, uh, my so point, it being the, that, it, you know, it, yeah. that, that would carry a lot more weight in court than a text message from a guy who's no longer employed. And there was, you know, there was a, there was a thought that Greg Schiano at one point was going to sue the university of Tennessee as well. There were a lot of people that were thought that was going to go there, but I think Greg Schiano decided, you know, probably in his best interest to not have everything drug up as to why they, the university of Tennessee decided not to honor a memorandum of understanding and not go with those things. So he never pursued that Avenue. Would T pursue that? And I don't know. I don't know what state of Tennessee statute is on all those things. Uh, I don't. I don't know how all of that works. I, I know that there's just enough concern on the university side, whether it's perception, whether it's legal ramifications, whatever, that they're trying to land the plane as, as softly as they can land it, um, so that it's not, you know, any more of an ugly scene than what it's already been. So we'll see what what that ends up happening or what happens with that. Austin, quickly, I would think you would have a resolution on that this week. I mean, that thing can't drag out forever, right? No, I think that that, that gets done sooner rather than later. I think probably in the next 24 to 48 hours. I just don't see it even getting to the end of the week. I, I, you know, and, and that's part of the, the slowdown, you know, uh, at least with the rest of the offensive staff is, you know, knowing how that shakes out. To me, there's a trickle-down effect of, you know, who's coming in, who's not coming in, and all that. All right, let's quickly get to hoops and talk about this Tennessee basketball team, Rob Lewis, that found an offense, found a rhythm, uh, found spacing, found everything that, you're, that, that they hadn't had essentially in, in two weeks. Was that simply a matter of the ball went in the basket from the perimeter? Was that the change in lineup? Was that John Fulkerson accepting a swift kick in the rear end and get him going? Uh, was that Eves Ponds being a matchup problem that worked in Tennessee's favor, or was that kind of all of the above? I, I'm, I don't know. I think we're going to get the answer this week. Um, whether or not Tennessee, whether that was a blip and, you know, Tennessee made shots combined with the fact that Kansas was playing, you know, played Thursday night. Friday was a travel day and had, you know, very minimal opportunities for preparation. And, uh, you know, Tennessee shot 61% from three. I do think that. You know, Fulke and Eve playing like they did. That was their best, you know, combined game, kind of symbiotic outing since the Missouri game back on December 28th. They had 28 combined points. Um, both I love when shot. you say symbiotic. It just it, it fires me up. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't I mean the lot. I don't think the lineup change had a lot to do with it. I mean, because Bailey and and um, Josiah still they played more minutes than Keon coming off the bench. So uh, the minutes didn't change a whole lot. I mean, I guess roles did, combinations did to some degree. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm taking the approach that the jury is still out on 
you know, whether they have really figured something out on offense, but you have to be encouraged by the way they played. What did you like most that you saw? I mean, uh, rebounding. I mean, I'm not even getting away from the offense. I mean, hammering Kansas 38 to 23 on the glass was the thing that impressed me the most. I mean, you're not going to shoot eight of 13 from three every night out. You're not going to shoot 53% from the floor, but you can, you know, rebounding is so much about effort, about intensity. And that, that just caught me way off guard. And I mean, Kansas had zero second chance points against a Tennessee team that had, had real, real problems controlling the defensive glass for, you know, for a long stretch. So that to me, you know, if they take that lesson to heart, if they watch the film and see that, hey, this is something we can replicate, then that that to me, I mean, offense is fun to talk about, but that, I mean, some nights it's just not going to be there. Rebounding is something you can control. And and I, if they learn if they learn that lesson and, and build on it, I think that's something that can really help this team. Do um... – is this shortened bench, shortened rotation? Is this here to stay? Is 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 the third post there? Not there? Are they not going to? I mean, what 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 does not, that look like? I don't I mean, what, pretend to know. I mean, I, I is wrote that just about how them. the mood fits you that day. I wonder. Or? I mean, I wonder if I mean because Rick has just been all over the board with with the rotation with the you know past the top seven. You know, some nights Anasiki plays. Some nights he looks down the bench and decides Drew Pember's getting in the game in the first half. I don't remember. It wasn't that long ago. Euro against Arkansas. Plashik got in the game in the first half. He played Devontae, you know, eight minutes you know, a couple a couple of games ago and talked about how much he liked what he gave him. And, you know, he didn't play on against Kansas until garbage time. So, and then, you know, Cam Watt is, is in the doghouse for seemingly most of the year. And he plays a season-high 15 minutes on Saturday. I, I don't pretend to know Rick on Monday was kind of noncommittal when I asked him about it, if that was, if that was the look, if he had officially shortened the bench and Olivier was now in that role and everybody else would get minutes, you know, based on foul trouble or situations, he, he was, you know, he stayed away from committing to it. I think you had to kind of like it, but I think it's also, I think it's going to be in Olivier's hands, I guess would be my, my answer. Will he play 15 minutes every game? I don't know. I think Rick will give him that chance. And then, you know, when he sees something that makes his head explode, you'll see E.J. Anasiki again. All right, let's quickly, as we get out the door here, talk a little bit about this matchup tonight against Ole Miss uh, with, with Kermit Davis's team. Rob, they throw some zone at you. They, they, I mean, they obviously pride themselves a lot on defense. These are the two best defensive teams statistically in the SEC, if I'm not mistaken. In terms of scoring, yes. I mean, it seems like points are going to be at a premium in, in this deal. Could be an ugly basketball game. What are you looking for in this one? I mean, it could be ugly, but um, Ole Miss struggles to score so bad. I, did, I mean, I really like Tennessee's chances. Ole Miss is I, – I, I may miss one of these stats or whatever, but I wrote, wrote them up just not long ago. They're, they're next to last in the league in scoring. They're next to last in the league in field goal percentage, and they're dead last in the league in three-point shooting. I think as long as Tennessee shows up and plays the kind of defense that we've seen – for, for most of the year. I mean, it, it might be ugly, but I, I'd be, I'd be really surprised if Ole Miss really pushes them. Be interesting to watch and see what this matchup looks like. What does Rick Barnes's bench rotation look like? Has this team figured something out on offense or were they the benefactors of Kansas on a quick turnaround uh, and a travel day, as Rob mentioned there um, proof will be in the pudding starting this week with Ole Miss 
uh, later tonight in Oxford, Mississippi. We'll have full coverage of that uh, on the site later this evening, and we'll be talking about it on Wednesday as well. But that's going to do it for this edition of the Blue Water Climate Control VolQuest.com podcast. Don't forget about their free furnace giveaway that they've got going on. Going to give away 20 of those this month. Give them a call at 865-299-2290 or check them out at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com. For Rob Lewis and Austin Price, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody.